welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side-by-side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. Let's go ahead and take our Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 11. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11 will be our key text this morning. And as we did last week, we are going to peek back into Luke chapter 24 again. Um, so we'll have those two places open before us this morning. Last week, uh, we introduced our series in Acts. Um, so we did the introduction, so if that was introduction, this is uh, part one. We'll be more intently looking at verses 1 through 11 uh, in Acts chapter 1. Just by way of reminder, you might remember that Acts uh, is the second volume of Luke's work. Uh, Luke, uh, Dr. Luke traveled with Paul uh, for years and went with him finally to Rome where Paul would eventually die. Uh, one of Paul's most uh, moving sentences in 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, during his imprisonment in Rome, Paul simply says at the end of his life, quote, Luke alone is with me. And so Luke was dear to Paul. He was, he's dear to us as he recorded the gospel of Luke and, and now the acts of the apostles, or as we said last week, acts of the Holy Spirit. By way of reminder, you remember these books are addressed to Theophilus. You can see that in Luke 1 and in Acts 1. Uh, these books are addressed to Theophilus, who is uh, probably some sort of Roman official. Uh, when Luke talks about Roman officials in Acts 23 and Acts 26, uh, he refers to them as most excellent the same way he refers to Theophilus. So likely this was a Roman official uh, that uh, Luke was originally addressing these letters to. Theophilus had uh, some knowledge of Jesus in the church, but it was not clear and complete to him. So Luke's aim was to give him, Theophilus, and, and us, as Luke was carried along by the Holy Spirit, an account of what Jesus did and said, and then... As we will see, the progress of the church in the world. So that's what we see in Acts. So in Luke, we see what Jesus began to do and teach. And then we see how the body of Christ carries the message of Christ around the world in Luke, I mean in Acts, uh, in, in the Acts of the Apostles. Jesus promised in, in the Gospels, do you remember this? He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And this is Luke's point in Acts. Jesus has been doing and teaching until he was taken up into heaven. And now Jesus goes on completing and doing his work and teaching. He goes on building his church just like he said he would. He goes on, the church continues to advance and the, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it as the Spirit empowers the church to finish the mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ being carried around the world, which, by the way, Christ has not yet come back, so the mission is not yet complete. And so in terms of church history, we find ourselves in a very similar, at the same moment of Acts. The message of Christ is still being carried around this world to this hour, and that is our mission as a church. But you notice of these folks in Acts, they're living in a historical transition. And anytime you live in a historical transition, remember when Jesus came, it says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Now he sent forth his son and his son we'll see in Acts chapter one through 11 has ascended to the right hand of the father. And so we see in Acts one through 11, the reason I tell you this, they're starting to struggle with what is this church age all about? This 
this time between the comings of Christ. So all of history had built up to the first coming of Christ, and now we're waiting for the second coming of Christ. And so Acts gives us this clarity and clarifies to us what this church age is all about. There's no doubt the disciples were perplexed. We see that in Luke chapter 24. But you remember what Jesus says before his departure to the church. He says, peace, peace, I am resurrected. Peace, my work is not finished. Peace, I will clothe you with power on, with, from, I will clothe you with power from on high to do this mission and carry out this mission with which, of which I have commissioned you to do. So our, our question as we work through Acts chapter 1, 1 through 11, is now that Jesus has, is seated at the right hand of the Father, he's ascended in, into heaven, we see that the, the work of Christ uh, is not finished. Not, not, not to confuse with the, the work of Christ on the cross. Your sin is forgiven. Jesus cried, it is finished. Your sin has been paid for on the cross of Jesus Christ. So we're not saying that, that somehow now we go on earning our salvation, but in light of Christ's coming, in light of the message of Christ being carried around the world, in light of fulfilling the Great Commission, what will this look like for followers of Jesus Christ here at the beginning of the church age, and now as we still live in that age, waiting for the second coming of Christ? And so let's go ahead and take a look at Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, and see what Jesus does in these 40 days before he ascends into heaven. Then a couple weeks, we'll see 10 days later at Pentecost, when he sends his spirit to empower his disciples. One of the first things, so the first thing I want you to see, that in these 40 days that Jesus spends between the resurrection and the ascension, is he spends time convincing his disciples, that what they've seen and beheld is actually true. Let's go ahead and take a look at Acts chapter 1, verse 3. It says this, Jesus, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. You remember this in Luke chapter 24. So Jesus says, during this time, he presented himself to his disciples by many proofs. Here are some things that Jesus did in these 40 days. One, he convinced them about the scriptures. Turn your Bibles back to Luke chapter 24. After Jesus rose, the story goes, there were two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus appears to them. And they began to tell Jesus, not knowing it's Jesus quite yet, all that has happened in Jerusalem, how their Messiah has died and how these ladies had seen this vision and have told them that he is alive. And, and Jesus then speaks to them, them not knowing it was Jesus yet. He says, O oh, foolish ones and slow to heart. This is Luke chapter 24, verse 25. O oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe that all the prophets, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Verse 26. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning themselves. So they drew near to the village in which they were going, and he acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. 
So he went in to stay with them, and when he was at the table with them, he took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the Scriptures? And so we see in this interim, this 40-day period between the resurrection and ascension, Jesus is convincing his disciples that that what they've seen and heard and experienced is true. And one, he convinces them according to the scriptures. He opens the scriptures and he explains to them how all of this was building up, that the fullness of time was leading up to Christ. He showed them in the scriptures all that they had seen and all they had experienced was fulfilling what the prophets had talked about. But not only does he convince them through the scriptures, you notice something else. He convinces them that he is risen indeed by showing them himself. Keep reading in Luke chapter 24. And as they were talking about these things, this is verse 36, Jesus himself stood among them and he said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they had saw a spirit. You, you noticed earlier Jesus vanished from their midst. So they're thinking, is this just a spirit that we're seeing? Is we're, are, are we just beholding some sort of, of, of ghost or something? What, what's going on here? Has he risen indeed is the question. Yes, he's shown this according to the scriptures. But is he risen indeed? Is he bodily resurrected? Or are they just be, seeing a spirit? Look at verse 38. Jesus is showing them many proofs, proving through the scripture and proving by showing him them himself. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? See, my hands, my feet, that is I myself, touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones and you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still disbelieve for and were still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. So you see in these many proofs that Jesus is convincing them as he shows them the scripture and Jesus is convincing them as he shows them himself and says, yes, look at my nail scarred hands. Look, I am dining with you. I am truly risen. I am bodily resurrected just as I said I would be. They destroyed the temple and in three days I have conquered sin and death once and for all. So Jesus spent these 40 days with many proofs, convincing them, that's point number one, convincing them, showing them through the scriptures, and showing them through himself that what they've seen and beheld is according to the scripture, and he has fulfilled the scripture, and that he is risen indeed. Let's keep going. So he convinces them Point number two is what Jesus does during these 40 days is he begins to clarify to them what the kingdom of God is all about. So we read verse three by many proofs appearing to them through the 40 days. And look at the end of verse three. And he was speaking to them about the kingdom of God. And while staying with him, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. We'll talk about more of that in a minute. And he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Look at verse 6. And when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, 
will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times and seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So notice this. Jesus is convincing them through the scriptures and through showing him himself. Point number two, Jesus is clarifying to them what the kingdom of God is all about. He says that in chapter three, in, chapter, in verse three. In verse six, they still have the question. They still have the question, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? The, the, the disciples needed some clarity, didn't they? They needed some clarity regarding the nature of the kingdom. Okay, we know that you are dead, you're resurrected, you're the exalted king, you're, you're going to the right hand of, of, of God, God, God the Father, but they still had a lot of questions. If Jesus is resurrected, is, is this the point when the earthly rule of God happens and the kingdom of Israel is restored? What, what they're beginning to, to ask is, is this the consummation? Is this the consummation of, of the kingdom? For Christ has died, Christ has risen. They're convinced of the resurrection. But how will Jesus' kingly rule and reign be expressed and displayed now that he is resurrected? They still had this expectation that the kingdom of Israel would be restored. This physical kingdom of it. They're still thinking in those terms. And Jesus is saying, you're, you're not wrong for thinking in terms of the kingdom. But, but, but they're still struggling with what to expect. What are the kingdom expectations? They want to know the dates. They want to know the details. They don't want to know the time. But Jesus wants them to wait. He wants them to wait for the Father. Their, their questions, follow me here, are not misguided. They understand rightly that the ascension, the resurrection and ascension of Jesus means that the kingdom of God is here. They are grappling and grasping that the last days have come. They are right, but what Jesus begins to clarify for, for them is that the consummation has not yet come. Christ has come. He's ascended. He's going to ascend. And what they don't yet understand is that Christ will come again. That there is going to be, follow along with, he's clarifying for them, there is going to be a time between the two advents of Christ. Do you, you follow with me here? That there's going to be a time between the first coming and the second coming of Christ. And he's beginning to clarify to them what that's going to look like. Yes, the kingdom of God has come and the true restoration of God's people is at hand. But the true restoration of God's people is not going to look what, like what they might have expected. The true restoration of God's people is going to happen as God breathes life into people by his spirit and God resurrects people and he forms a new covenantal people. That's what God's going to do. That's how he's going to restore Israel. The true people of God are going to be formed as the message of Christ is carried around the world and people believe the gospel of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the world and God saves people and forms a covenantal people of those who put their faith in a resurrected Christ. And by the way, I'm going to use you to do that is what he's saying. So yes, I'm ruling and reigning 
and I am going to send the power of the Spirit among you. I'm going to empower you to carry this message of Christ around the world. And how am I going to restore the, 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 restore the kingdom of God, restore Israel? is by people of all tribes, tongues, and nations, and lands believing the gospel of Jesus Christ and being formed into the new covenantal people. So they weren't wrong to know the kingdom of God was at hand. They weren't wrong to know that God was going to restore his covenantal people and create his covenant. They, they, they were right to think that, but Jesus is clarifying for them how that will be. So he says, don't worry about the days or the time know that you must wait on the pouring out of the Spirit in these last days so that you will be empowered to carry out the mission that God has for you. They know the promise that God's people will ultimately and finally be restored in the last day. And what they're waiting for is the pouring out of the Spirit, which will mark, listen to this, a defining moment in redemptive history in which we enter into the final days, the last days, leading up to the return of Christ. And so that's what they need clarity on. So Jesus spent that 40 days, it says, teaching and speaking about the kingdom of God. Are you with me? So he spent 40 days convincing them and clarifying, and he told them to wait. Wait for the promise of the Spirit, but you will, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took them out of sight. And so he's saying, convincing them, clarifying, and saying, wait, 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 wait for what? The promise, the power of the Holy Spirit. So we need to stop here and spend some time. We'll talk about it more when we get to Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. But we need to spend some time and, and get some clarity ourselves of this promise of the Holy Spirit. He says, wait. So this means the pouring out of the Spirit has, has not yet come. He says, verse 5, think, with this, think, think about this with me. For John baptized with water, but... But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So, so wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which will come like 10 days later after the, after the ascension, as we'll talk about that in a minute. So wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit so it's not yet come. Does that mean like that the Holy Spirit was kind of on the bench until now? Have you ever thought like that before? I feel like probably at some point growing up, I thought like that, that we serve God who's in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe Trinitarian God. And, and, and I think there's this, this mindset in us as we try in our little brains to kind of figure out and to express the, the majesty of a Trinitarian God. Um, if you're like me, you want to kind of compartmentalize that. And so, so, so the way... I've probably done in my mind at some point in my life is compartmentalize this is we kind of think, okay, the, the father was kind of, you know, working, doing his thing in the Old Testament. Jesus shows up in the gospel. The second person of the Trinity kind of does his thing in the, in the gospels and we get to Acts. Now the Holy Spirit's turn to shine. Um, that's what people across the years have called modalism. 
meaning that God just kind of wears different hats across different parts of history. And, and that's not what's going on. That's actually heretical in, in, in all of church history. And so, 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 so that's not what's going on. You, you only have to turn to Genesis chapter 1 to realize that the Spirit is at work from the beginning, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God with the beginning. Not anything was made um, that was not made by Him. And the Word took flesh and dwelled among us. So we see that God eternally exists in three persons. And, and, and I tell you that so you know that the, the Spirit of God was at work in the Old Testament. We have to know that. The Spirit of God does not just show up at Pentecost and then all of a sudden we have the Spirit at Pentecost and now it's the Spirit's turn to do His thing, right? There, listen to me good. There, there was no point in history where someone is saved without the Spirit. The Spirit does the regenerating work. He does the recreating work just as He does in creation, hovers over the surface of the waters. It is the Spirit who regenerates people. Always has been, all right? So, so it's not that, in a sense, that all of a sudden the New Testament church has the Spirit and the Old Testament folks didn't have the Spirit. The Spirit, God exists in three, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, always, for all of eternity. So what does this mean? Baptism in the Holy Spirit, is it the same thing as conversion? Jesus doesn't say... Uh, Wait for the whole, wait for conversion. He doesn't say wait 10 days from now and now you can be truly converted because I'm going to finally send out, out the Spirit. Are you following along with me? I think we get in our minds that the Spirit wasn't at work in the Old Testament or wasn't regenerating in the Old Testament, wasn't saving people in the Old Testament as they look forward to the coming of Christ. I believe he was. And Jesus doesn't say. So, so what we're asking is what is this promise all about? Jesus doesn't say, wait in Jerusalem until you're born again or converted or to be put into the body of Christ. He says, wait until you are clothed with power. He doesn't say you will receive salvation, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, the Spirit's at work in the Old Testament we have to understand that the Spirit is doing something a little bit different in the New Testament, right? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was worth God. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, and the second person of the Trinity took on flesh. At one point, He did not have flesh. Now He has flesh for, forever. And so we see this, this special revelation of the Lord as as he takes on flesh, and the second person of the Trinity does. And so we're not saying there's nothing different about it, but we, we can't say that the Holy Spirit just showed up in the New Testament. You're with me? So throughout the Old Testament, follow along, we see the Holy Spirit working also in redemption. We've noted that the Old Covenant ministry of the Spirit was to gift individuals for service was mainly limited to prophets, priests, and king, although... 
he regenerated all believers during the old covenant period. The Holy Spirit anointed prophets to speak God's word, priests to intercede for the people, and kings to lead Israel against the enemies of God. The Lord used all of these individuals to advance his plan of redemption, pointing ultimately to Christ, whom the Spirit anointed as our prophet, priest, and king to secure our salvation. Hebrews chapter 1 and Hebrews chapter 9. So, the first folks we even read about, this is going to be so crucial for us to understand Pentecost. So the first folks we read about being filled with the Spirit in the Old Testament were gifted for the particular task. Do you remember this? They were artisans who were commissioned to build the tabernacle. And the Bible says that they were filled with the Spirit in order to perform this task. They were gifted for a particular task. These particular people were empowered for a particular task. And so in the Old Testament... There was a particular anointing, empowerment to fulfill a particular task. We see the Spirit distributed among the 70 in Moses' day. Moses' anointing was spread out among others to carry out a particular task. So this gives us some insight. They weren't waiting for the Spirit to regenerate them. For the Spirit was always regenerating people, even in the Old Testament. What they were waiting for was the Spirit of Christ to be, if you will, distributed to all believers in order to carry out the task of being a witness to Jesus Christ around the world. Are you with me? So that was what the Spirit is doing in these final days. He will empower all of His people. So, being baptized with the Holy Spirit is when a believer in Jesus Christ receives extraordinary power for Christ-exalting ministry. And so that's what he will do. So what is the promise? The promise is power for a specific task. Jesus said, you will receive my Spirit, you will have extraordinary power, and you will be my witnesses here and around the world. If they are waiting and the promise was yet to come... Something about the work of the Holy Spirit was different in these days. It would be poured out on all believers. So the promise is power for a specific task. And the promise is the dawning of a new age, the new covenant era, where Pentecost would be a demonstrative work of creation, of recreation, fallen humanity being transformed by the Spirit into a degree unknown in the old covenant. So we have to do some mental work there, don't we? If we're going to understand what's going up Pentecost, we don't want to be sloppy about it. We want to set our minds straight. We want to be convinced. We want to be clarified about the kingdom. We want to be clear what this promise is all about so that we might know what God is doing in these final days. So what is the promise? That he will empower, this is the priesthood of the believers, he will empower all believers to carry out the task of exalting Christ and making his name known around the world, here, there, and everywhere. And so how will Jesus continue to do and teach all that he's done? How will the ministry of Christ continue? Through you and me and all that the Spirit of God indwells. So we see the, he's convincing, he's clarifying He's telling us what the promise truly is, this baptism with the Spirit. We see the consummation is coming. Look at the final thing before we start to draw this to an end for this morning. 
verse 9. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And they were gazing into heaven, and he went. Behold, two men stood by them with white robes, and he said, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taking up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him going in to heaven. And so before Pentecost, before the pouring out of the Spirit to empower them for this mission that God had called them to, and this mission that will continue until everyone hears and Christ returns, Christ does not return, so this mission continues. Christ is telling them that I will return. Consummation is coming. I am coming again is what he is saying. I am ascended, but I am coming back in the same way. What is he saying there? It, it, it won't. It will be in a, in a different way, because he will come back glorious. He will come back, and all of the world will know, and every tribe, tongue, and nation, and land will know and bow down. We see in this that he's appearing to these few people, some five hundred as. Corinthians goes on to say that's being lifted up. So, so he'll come back not as a humble king, but as a glorious king. But he will come back in the same way. Jesus is bodily returning. He is resurrected. He is bodily resurrected. And just as he's taken on flesh, he did not put that flesh off when he resurrected. He still has that flesh to this day. He's bodily resurrected. He's bodily ascended. And he is bodily returning to bring his, to come to his people and to recreate this world once and for all. So they promise, get convincing, clarifying, clarifying what the promise of the Spirit is and reminding them that I am coming again in the same way that you saw me ascend. So what? So what? Well, we have future hope. Christ will return. We have present peace. That where he is, we will also be bodily. We will experience the presence of the Lord for the first fruits of the resurrection. Jesus Christ is there now. So what? We have this present power in us that while we wait for his return, we are empowered and, to our, and are to be about our Spirit-empowered task. To be filled with the Spirit, to not grieve the Spirit with sin, but to yield our life to Christ, to yield our life to His Spirit and watch Him work through us and accomplish things through us, namely exalting Christ. The Spirit illumines our Savior's face, John chapter 16. The Spirit puts in our heart to cry, Abba, Father, and put in our mouths, Abba, Father, Romans 8. The Spirit plants heaven in our hearts, Ephesians 1, verses 13 through 17. And so, and so this means we are to be people of the Spirit. So, so what? The Bible says that each of us are gifted by the Spirit to carry out this task. So what? This means that we are to, to exude the, the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, to walk by the Spirit, to love, to walk with joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
This means that in all things we do, the, the gifts that God has given us, the gifts that we use, the fruit by which we um, uh, live out these gifts, should be all for the mission to put the spotlight on Jesus. So let me close by asking this question. If we are convinced of this, just as the disciples were, as Jesus spent time among them and convinced them with many proofs, if we are convinced that God was present and working among us, if we were convinced that we're all empowered for the sacred task of carrying the message of Christ around the world, that in all of our lives we shine the glory of Christ wherever we are so others might see Christ, if we were convinced that the Spirit of God was at work among us, how would that cause us to act differently? How, how will that cause you to look at Monday morning differently? Right? Because you know what your job here is on this earth. It might look different. Each one is gifted different. Each person has different spheres of influence that God has ordained in your life. And even if we were convinced that God was at work among his people and that each person in this body is empowered by the Spirit to carry out that sacred task, how would we look at this congregation differently? How would we look at each individual differently I'll tell you, as a pastor, it causes me to look at you differently. I don't see people as, as pawns or employees trying to man the ministries we do so that we can have a, a thing going. You, you, you want to get me upset, treat one of our volunteers like they're just a pawn in the, in the cog, right? And don't give them a say in what they're doing. And it, it, if we really believe that each person in our midst is empowered by the Holy Spirit to carry out a Christ-exalting task of making Christ known to the nations. If, if we really believe a, a Christ is bodily returning, and in that interim, that's what we're all about as a, as a church, how will you look at the person who's sitting next to you differently? How will you look at the person who is across from you in your Sunday school class, or who you share lunch with? Will you see him as a person to manage or someone who has the power of the Spirit to carry out a specific task? Do you follow with me? I think as a church, sometimes we miss that. Big C church, church as a whole, we think of people just as people who come. They're just kind of customers or whatever else. That's foreign to the Scriptures. I believe each one of you who has been regenerated by the Holy Spirit has a gift, is empowered to exalt Christ in a unique way wherever God has called you to live. So let's stop and ask God to convince us of that and give us clarity of that, that the kingdom might expand in this city and beyond. Can we pray for that? Let's pray.